podcast this week, we say there can be only one in a weird kind of French-Swiss-Scots-American hybrid accent thing as a Highlander himself, Christopher Lambert of the clan Lambert drops by the pod booth. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast to keep seeing Andy Murray referred to as the only British Wimbledon men's champion since Fred Perry. Has, mm-hmm. Have people forgotten Paul Bettany already? He won it in 2004! I saw it, it was on the TV! Using CG balls. <laughs> Paul Bettany's CG balls. Amazing stuff. Hello, Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up, it's a la- first up is a lady who actually went to Wimbledon last week. And she was disappointed to find that Sam and Dean Winchester were not competing in the men's shirtless doubles. Uh, was she escorted from the grounds in a fit of rage? I'll leave it to Helen O'Hara to tell you. No. Are you sure? <laughs> I am sure. Are you I sure saw about Serena that? Williams and Andy Murray, though. Sadly, not Federer, who is my boy, but, you know, kind of everything in this life. Yeah. You're a Quentin Tarantino looky likey. He's much better looking than Quentin Tarantino. Thank you very much. Yes, he is. I was okay. trying to argue that point for a second. I thought, no, I can't do <laughs> no, that. No, I can't no. credibly do that. No. <laughs> I will not die with you. I'm not, I'm, no. I will not die with you on this hill. Um, on this, this Henman's Hill, right? On this Henman's Hill. On go. this Murray Mound. <laughs> Rusetsky Ridge. I believe so, yes. And given that Paul Bettany won Wimbledon in 2004, what would his hill be? What would his... Bettany what? Bettany... Or Colt? What was his name? Peter uh, yeah, Colt? I, yes, Peter Colt is the name of the character, but nobody cares about Peak, that. It would be Peter Peak, wouldn't it? The Bettany's Peter Bluff. Bettany Bluff. <laughs> <laughs> Bettany's Bluff. Uh, Sue Barker, if you're listening to this... We're and sorry. I know that you are. Uh, can you please refer to it whenever uh, on Sunday when Andy Murray's playing Roger Federer in the final touch wood, touch whatever horrible cheap formica this is, the, the table we do this on. Um, whenever the camera cuts to the people on Hemmons Hill, can you please call it Bethany's Bluff? Just for us, because I, I know you're a fan of the podcast. I know, you, I know you listen. I know you like to listen. Hey, Sue, how's it going? Uh, last but not least, a man, you've already heard him a couple of times after his experiences last year on uh, Island Nublar. Won't go anywhere near a major public gathering like Wimbledon, just in case pteranodons swoop from the skies and make off with his pims. It's a Jurassic World star, as ever. We're privileged to have you, Nick Desemlian. Don't look at the face, Chris. We <laughs> talked about this. Can you imagine Jurassic Wimbledon? That'd be amazing. <laughs> that think, would be and incredible. John McEnroe's called in for the third act. No raptors could ever cope with, with Super Mac in a, in a full on ser- rage. You cannot be serious, yeah. I mean, it'd be kind of fun because you'd have like a line of of tennis professionals, right, standing between dinosaurs and crowds, just whacking balls really, really hard. And this is like a I you know a speed pardon. of 120 miles per hour, mm-hmm. straight into the faces of the dinosaurs. Mm, you know, their vision amazing. is based on movement. Can they even see tennis balls moving that fast? Can Who a T Rex play tennis with its tiny arms? That's one <laughs> that of the questions that will be answered. One of the great questions. <laughs> well, does the T stand for tennis? If it's a tennis rex, then yes. A tennis rex. If it's a tyrannosaur rex, then no. There's this oh. sort of rumour that they're going to be making the next one set in London. Can you imagine? I think I think we've found their last act set piece. I think we've got it. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. We'll take a cut of the profits. Yeah, this is true. I mean, you know, a raptor would be very, very speedy around the court. It would be able to cope with the big servers. And they'd be great doubles players because they've got that sort of, you know, yep. teamwork it's going on. It's the perfect way for dinosaur and man to finally resolve their differences. <laughs> <laughs> I am going gonna, gonna to pitch this. 
It's amazing. It's amazing. Wow. Literally pitch it. Yeah. That's, is there a pitch? There's no pitch in tennis. No pitch. So no pitch. I, I'm, not, I'm not a sports person. There should be. There should be. Your, your tennis knowledge has served you well. Oh. You're an mm. absolute ace. No. Um, Something about juice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John McEnroe has an amazing uh, movie career, actually. He's he's very good. I mean, he's almost exclusively played himself uh, in a series of Adam Sandler movies. But um, he's he's been good whenever he's been on, on film and TV. I think more McEnroe is what I say. He's been very good. Sure. Feel free to agree with me or extrapolate at any point. No, I, I agree. Okay. I don't think he, he's not the best sports cameo, though, is he? No. As I mean, that was Lance Armstrong, but he ruined that along with so much else. Oh, how did he ruin it, Helen? By being a big drug cheat. What? Yeah, true. Did you ever see Seven Days in Hell, which I think came out a couple of years ago? Yeah, which a couple of years ago. The HBO tennis mockumentary with uh, Kit Harrington and Andy Samberg. It's really funny. Yeah. I have not seen that, no. It's yeah. really, really funny. I think it's, on, I think it's still on the uh, Sky Player. Yeah. If, if if you have access to that, it's still available. Uh, yeah, it's very funny, very short, but uh, but really, really, and, and McEnroe is very good in it, and he sells it. I mean, he's playing himself, talking about these these players that don't exist. Sure, yeah. and he's he's very deadpan. It's got a lot of nudity in it. It's got a lot of scrotums. That's my sort of really? main memory. Yeah, that's not what I associate with tennis. Well, it's got yeah, balls of all different types, <laughs> which leads us on. This is an amazing segue. We've never done a segue that good. Because uh, this week's question is about balls. Amazingly. And it comes from Joe. And I'm sorry I didn't write down your surname because I'm an idiot and I've only been doing this for four years and you'd think I'd learn. Uh, but Joe says, Hey guys, having just watched Independence Day 2, Back in the Habit, and marvelled at the sterling performance given by the giant white plot ball, <laughs> uh, I was just wondering what you thought were other good balls in film. And then Joe suggests some. Uh, obviously, there's Plot Ball Wilson, the Masquerade <laughs> Ball in Labyrinth, mm. and the Sipper Mishap in There's Something About Mary. But I'm sure there are other excellent balls featured in cinema. I'm sure I'm sure Joe is a great guy. I'm sure he's got a lot going for him. <laughs> I believe Joe's I, a lady. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick him up on his... It's the very Joe is a lady. Let's that's, be that's absolutely clear about this. Joe is a lady. Yeah. Oh, it's a J-O. From the spelling of the, of the name. Oh. I, I'm, I'm, I'm presuming. Okay. I'm presuming... It's a little bit unclear the question because it's a very broad range of balls that Joe is describing mm. here. We've got the we've got the sort of you know the, the physical balls, but also the masquerade ball from Labyrinth. So if we're just going to do any kind of ball, all right, yeah. best testicles in movie, I'm going to say Will Poulter in Wither Millers. Oh, that's hard to beat. I mean, in size at least. Sure, I didn't expect it to be a series of, of subcategories. This is amazing. Has anyone got any? Uh, has anyone got any better balls than Will Poulter? <laughs> Let's move off those. Um, uh, yeah, because they look spo- swollen and painful. Will so. Ferrell, um, obviously teabags John T. Riley's drum kit in Step Brothers <laughs> with a good, prosthetic ball sack. Mm. There's, uh, that's pretty good. As I remember, there were, there were some balls in Walk Hard, sort of just framing the shot rather nicely. Yes. Comedy balls. You Comedy don't get a lot of testicles in non-comedies, which is no. probably for a reason. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you seen Hugh McGregor's entire filmography? <laughs> It's Not just wall-to-wall no. balls. <laughs> it's balls You've out. seen the unrated cut of The Phantom Menace, have you? Why do you think I gave Attack of the Clones five stars? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that cut. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. So if we, we're moving on to physical bouncy things. Um, <laughs> I thought we just had. Yeah. The, the, the beach, I'm going to give a shout-out to the alien beach ball from Dark Star, John Carpenter's Dark Star. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Very crazy early film by him. It's a sci-fi set on a spaceship. And... 
I saw the film a long time ago, so I can't really remember the details, but I do remember that there is an alien beach ball. It's literally a beach ball mm -hmm. that just mm -hmm. bounces around the ship yeah. for a long time. It's beach pretty balls, good, pretty yeah. Good. Love yeah. it. Um, in terms of rolling balls, it has to be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Good one. It actually does. Thank, I think we're done. I classify here. that as a boulder, personally. It's very round. It's suspiciously spherical, you know. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Was that carved by the natives? I mean, yeah, you wonder about that. I mean, that's a big booby trap to set. So you have to take a huge piece of rock. You have yeah. to carve it into a sphere. Yeah. Um, and, and you then have to you set have to, out the track. And you, the, yeah, yeah, you have to get it up to the thing and mm -hmm. then make sure that when he steps on the thing... The I'd thing love to see a prequel for Raiders. It's just, <laughs> oh, no. it's just the entire film is just all those like ancient tribes people rigging all the booby traps yeah. setting up traps and yeah. just going oh we haven't yeah and putting the thing down and then they all get killed accidentally so they have to do it again <laughs> the the golden idol I'd love to see that it actually would be kind of fascinating that'd be an awesome short mm. yeah rejected booby yeah. traps there's someone there just with a stamp who's who's everyone's coming up with booby trap ideas and he's like sorry or, Jeffrey or maybe there's sorry, just, Jeffrey. just maybe there's a really ancient health and safety expert who is making sure that yeah. none of that goes wrong that it's his story or hers it's incredible mm -hmm. Orders, that would be great. Absolutely. You know, days without people being crushed in terrible boulder-related incident zero. zero. Yeah, because whoever came up with the with the rolling boulder must have been given the rest of the week off. I mean, That's, sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely, nailed it. <laughs> Good work. Uh, it's like the day they came up with Martha for Batman Superman. It's just like, <laughs> why did you say that name? Our work here is done. Uh, but that's not my good prequel. A short. That's a good idea. So you know, if you're out there. Uh, Frank Marshall and I know you're listening because you're a huge fan of the show I know to say hello to Sue Barker for us uh, you know it'd, it'd be a good idea for you to, to do that as a, as a film yeah. um, I I neglected to, you mentioned John Carpenter I neglected to mention last week we were talking about movie churches church scenes and I neglected to mention that uh, the whole of Prince of Darkness <laughs> takes place in the church I just obvious and someone uh chastised me for it even though I'd mentioned a John Carpenter film previously so apologies for that um, but I will say a horror a horror ball mm -hmm. that has captured my heart is the are the flying silver balls in Phantasm. Good one. And numerous sequels that um, that fly through the air and With have the different greatest of ease. Uh, indeed, and they have different uh, sort of accoutrements. They kind of evil and drill into people's heads. They're kind of evil snitches, aren't they? Yeah, I think. That, yeah, I'd like to honestly. You know, I don't know if we'll ever interview J.K. Rowling, but I wonder if she's a Phantasm fan. I wonder if the Golden Snitch is in some way inspired by that. Yeah. I feel certain she is. Mm. Who isn't a Phantasm fan? Here? And I'm reading the Dark Tower books at the moment, and mm -hmm. the, sn the snitches from Harry Potter feature in the Dark Tower, so it's all like one big <gasps> trippy hall of mirrors. Um, more balls. I'm going to give a shout-out to the <laughs> seemingly magical football from Shaolin Soccer. Yes. The Stephen Chow yeah, film, which is fun. absolutely crazy, and it does things that no football has ever done. Before or since, yeah, you're yeah. right. Um, uh, the training ball in uh, Star Wars, useful little thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good ball. Durable as well, you know, we know it's still around 20 yeah. years later. Mm. Absolutely, that's a, that's a solid ball. Uh, uh, any other balls, Helen? I'm trying to think of like the, the more glamorous kind. I think the masquerade ball is, the, is one of the best examples of that. But, you know, it depends if you call it a ball or just a party. Like there are scenes in Amadeus, you know, are they really a ball or are they just like a shindig and that's how everybody dressed in those days nanny. yeah mm. you know where do we put it on the scale mm. yeah mm -hmm. I worry about that I, I I think maybe we shouldn't allow balls so to speak just balls and it balls it should just be balls yeah balls balls and balls are okay yeah but not balls but not balls but not ball. balls, okay. you have to, balls where you have to dress up 
No. Yeah. And remind me where we stand on Tom, Tom Holland. It's Tom Holland, then Tom Holland, then Tom Holland, right? No. No. That's Tom Holland. Ah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Then Tom Holland. Okay. And then way down. Ouch. How even dare you? Does Tom Holland know this? Tom Holland. Um, Have you told him? Tom Holland knows. Okay. But not Tom Holland and Tom right. Holland. I heard that Tom Holland and Tom Holland go on holidays together, so they may have... This is true. Uh, but um, they did not invite Tom Hollander. It was a, it was a big schism. Uh, yeah, there's a massive, massive blow up. Tom Holland was not happy. Uh, but yes, uh, balls. Well done. Oh, right. I'll say one more ball that's popped into my head. Um, whenever, in, in Gremlins 2, whenever the, uh, the, uh, the water spills on Gizmo, the other... Mogwai mm. emerged from him initially as bouncing balls that bounce all around Indeed. the place and the saney one just just you know starts mm. flying around the place and it's very funny uh, so that's it So, but that's not you know of course a comprehensive list of movie balls if you think we've missed about in fact while we're here let's just talk about how ridiculous that plot <laughs> ball is in Independence Day uh, resurgence because we're not sadly we weren't able to find the time to do a kind of forensic sit-down and dissect the movie as mm. we most often do with our spoiler specials, which is a real shame because I have a lot to say about that film. Uh, but the spoiler special with Roland Emmerich's interview will be available now, I think, pretty much. You should be able to listen to it in tandem with this. Um, apologies if you wanted to hear us blather on about it. And if you didn't, well, then it's great. Um, but yeah, the plot ball. It's been out for a couple of weeks. I think we can talk about this now. Okay, and if you haven't seen it, obviously skip ahead five minutes. Skip ahead five minutes. Yeah. Three minutes. Two minutes. Three minutes. Yeah, three minutes. It, it, it warrants no more than three minutes. Yeah. So the plot ball. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Plot ball and Independence Day resurgence. This, this alien thing comes out. Uh, it's a, it's a friendly plot ball. It looks like it's been designed by Johnny Ives, and it it basically sets up the sequel and says, "Hey guys, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a ball from a futuristic race and intergalactic you know, civilization. Yeah, and I'm the only thing that's left. And hey, I'm peace loving, but I want to." Even though I'm peace loving, I want to teach you how to um, fight. It's not the only thing that's people. left, is it? It's the sort of the guide to their it's, like yeah. their secret refuge. It's the only thing that's left of the race that was okay. Yeah, that they created yeah, that one. They became um, just a race, but, but plot ball. Plot ball. I I mean I I kind of enjoy that just because you know I like a bit of sci-fi and it sort of yeah. reminded me of some of the Ian M Banks kind of culture. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Shit. It was it was kind of hokey B movie yeah. kind of beat I thought and I was looking forward to the sequel which I don't know whether we're ever going to get the, mm. the third one in which they team up with different shapes and there's a planet of triangles and <laughs> a planet of rhombosit rhombi I don't know I don't know where they were going with it really but I was I was I was gonna I was up for that yeah. I, I don't get all the hate I, I really don't get all the hate it, it gets a lot of hate this film I was, yeah, I was very mixed terrible. on it but it isn't I, I had fun. Hate it. I enjoyed it. But then, you know, I enjoy Under Siege 2 Dark Territory, so... <laughs> Under Siege 2 Dark Territory is Citizen Kane compared to Independence Day Resurgence. Oof. Awful film. Awful. Wow. Awful. Mm. Um, but anyway, plot ball. Stupid plot ball. I know you are, but what is it? What? Oh! oh man, I, I got burned. I got burned <laughs> big time. Okay, so if you want to have your question read out, uh, as Joe's was on the Empire Podcast, uh, do send them in to us via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can email us, like Joe did, podcast at empireonline.com. Full disclosure, I may forget your surname. And then, of course, there's Facebook, where we're Empire Magazine. Okay, time now for movie news, and we're going to start off with the very, very sad news that three directors, incredibly important directors of huge note, passed away at the weekend, all on the same day, uh, weirdly enough. Uh, Robin Hardy, director of The Wicker Man, Abbas Kiriostami, the great Iranian director of movies like Close Up and Certified Copy, 
and of course Michael Cimino, the director of Thunderbolt and Lightfoot and The Deer Hunter and Heaven's Gate, to name but three. Uh, so, yeah, three three very sad losses. Absolutely, and all of them have, have been hugely influential. I think... Um, you know, n- none of these guys were, it's fair to say, sort of blockbuster box office toppers. They weren't, you know, in that kind of sphere of filmmaking, but they were all so influential on the filmmakers that have come since then, uh, so influential on their uh, on their followers and on the shape of cinema itself that it, it's kind of, it's just kind of surreal to have them all gone uh, so close together. I mean, Cimino had had one of the most dramatic kind of, Stories in Hollywood. He went from the absolute golden child mm-hmm. um, with his early films to to being a complete pariah, and I think it's and it's a really tragic tale in many ways, and especially given the fact that Heaven's Gate has been very much reassessed in recent years, and it and its longer cut has been sort of uh, actually you know has found huge huge fans and, and huge huge praise from from many influential people, and yet that that finished his career at the time um, mm-hmm. far too soon quite frankly, because I think he had much more to give. So, yeah, so that that one, you know, was a shock. The, the Wicker Man alone, you know, we had many great British filmmakers paying paying tribute to, to Robin Hardy and, and saying that their careers wouldn't exist without him, most notably Edgar Wright and... Ben sorry, Wheatley. So. And ben Wheatley as well. You know, so it, it's it's a bit of a, a blow. And then, of course, Kiarostami, an absolute giant of the art house circuit. I, I, I wish Phil were here to, to give us his wisdom on it, but because I haven't seen all of his films, I have to confess. But for you know, Taste of Cherry alone, he's he's an absolute legend, and I think will be much much missed. Especially you know, he sort of um, he, he was kind of the f- the figurehead and the standard bearer for Iranian cinema, and I think it's it's actually for a you know a fairly small country where where filmmakers operate under enormous. Uh, restrictions. It's an incredible source of great filmmaking, and I think he he kind of led that resurgence and led that that drive into the world. And I think so much of that can be traced back to him. Yeah, they've all, all three of them have just made films that have made such an impact and have lasted. Um, Phil and I watched Heaven's Gate earlier this year, and it's terrific. That was mm. my first time watching it. It's it's by no means. Which version the, did you watch? Uh, the extraordinarily long one. I, I think that could describe any of them, but it's uh, it's great. And the the new issue uh, that just came out of Empire is the classic scene at the back. Uh, we asked Jodie Foster to pick a scene, yeah. and she picked a great one from The Deer Hunter. That's so much. And The Wicker Man is is astonishing. There would be no hot fuzz without it. And many other films, including The Wicker Man remake, which. which yes. All yes. balances out, I guess. Yeah. Which just goes to show how good a job Robin Hardy did. Yeah, actually. Yeah, a huge fan of Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Jeff Bridges posted a very nice message on Facebook uh, this week after Jimino's death at 77, uh, saying that basically, you know, without him, he wouldn't have had a movie career. And then he was a, a, a greenhorn and confessed something very interesting, which you don't really seem to think. You always think as movie stars as, you know, being slightly separate from the rest of us. And he said that before he went into Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, he was absolutely terrified. I just felt that I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't, I, I bluffed my way into this, and you don't really associate movie stars with mm. with those feelings. And I'm, but I'm sure it's it's a very human thing that all actors do. And Jimino talked him down and said, no, 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 you're the you're the guy. I need you. So it's on Jeff Bridges' Facebook page if you want to go and check it out. There's lots of. So he went in terrified, yeah. and he came out the dude. Uh, pretty much. Pretty much. I, I, lo- I mean that that alone. Well yeah. done. Thunderbolt and Life was a really it's interesting, yeah. bizarre. 
uh, a typical Clint Eastwood film if you haven't mm. seen it. Um, he did make films after Heaven's Gate, not many. He did, but, but he, you, you know, know, and they they weren't great. I think the best one probably the Year of the Dragon with Mickey Rourke and uh, the, the strange remake of well, strange it was strange that he made it. I guess the remake of Desperate Hours, the uh, the, the Bogart film uh, with uh, again Mickey Rourke and uh, Anthony Hopkins. It's a yeah, it's a strange one, but yeah, very very great great career. Robin Hardy, I think, is someone that you focus mainly on that that one film, but yeah. when it is the Wicker Man, it's very hard to really focus on anything else. And he was a, a, a decent novelist as well. He he wrote some very very interesting books. So mm-hmm. uh, if you see any of those around, do check them out. I just went to um, the latest bug down at the South Bank, the Adam Buxton uh, mm-hmm. curated music video thing, and they they showed a Radiohead music video from the new album. Oh yeah, which is uh, sort of this this great sort of claymation thing inspired by the Wicker Man. So it's just amazing how that film still influencing people. Yeah. Still, all these years on. Absolutely. Well, how many times when you go to a strange place do you go, this place has got a Wicker Man vibe to it? You know? <laughs> uh, so yes, the three incredibly talented, brilliant directors, and they will be much missed indeed. Uh, so what else is happening in the world of news this week? It was a July 4th weekend in the States, which usually means the Hollywood shuts down, which usually means there's not a lot of movie news around. Chris, and you cannot right. be more wrong. I'm wrong. You cannot be more wrong. There Holy is hell. huge Power Rangers uh, news what? coming wow. out of Hollywood this that, week. I mean, I think that's what um, we all needed to pick up our spirits. Um, well, do I'm going to tell you what's going on. It's Brian Cranston has returned to the world of Power Rangers. They've lost the mighty and the morphin. But, uh, they, they, but they've gained the Cranston. But Cranston, Cranston um, you know, he he uh, once, I don't know if you know, but he once voiced a monster called Snizzard on Power Rangers. This was before he'd kind of become famous. And uh, that's pretty incredible. That's on YouTube. You can go and watch that. Uh, but he has come back to the, to the franchise. And he said some very interesting things this week. He's saying that Power Rangers, he compared it to the new iteration that's, that they're working on to the Christopher Nolan Batman films. Wow. <laughs> He said okay. it's going to be as different to the old Power Rangers as Christopher Nolan's Batman films were to the um, the original TV show. Okay, TV okay. Show. right, all right, mm. right. So yeah. I don't know what that what that means, but I'm hugely <laughs> excited. To Here's find the thing out. about Brian Cranston: I believe everything he says. He's an incredibly trustworthy actor, and I think a huge part of the success of Walter White was his ability to bullshit <laughs> his way out of uh, incredibly dark and dangerous situations. Um, and there's a new film coming up called I think, I think it's called The Infiltrator where he plays an undercover real life uh, undercover um, DEA agent or, or something like that who again has to bullshit his way out of incredibly da- dangerous and dark situations so Brian Cranston has clearly over the years cultivated the ability to make anything he says yes. sound trustworthy mm-hmm. but I I no. No? No. I think so? No. He tweeted he's going to be playing uh, hashtag Zordon. I'm not sure if the character name actually has a hashtag, but that's what he tweeted. Um, did you know, this is an amazing fact, one of the Power Rangers, the blue one, is named after Brian Cranston. It's called Cranston. Wow. Not it, he. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, of course the blue one's a he. I mean, the pink one's a girl. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it works. It's yeah. it's 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 pretty awful color coding actually if you ever look at maybe that in this lineup. new version they'll just have muted sort of grey and brown oh undoubtedly yeah Nolan esque kind of look to it wow. I don't know but um, yeah. who's the beige Power Ranger <laughs> the taupe Power Ranger speaking of uh, superheroes in suits 
Um, Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, we were. Yeah, yeah we were. <laughs> we were. Um, has, has a new cast member. At this point in time, it would be news of Spider-Man Homecoming didn't add a <laughs> new cast true. member. That is true. That is true. However, this one is an exciting one. Um, the Nice Guys breakout star. Angori Russell Crowe. No, no, the other one. Angori Rice. Ryan Gosling. No, the other one. The girl. The younger girl. The daughter. Shane oh, Black. yeah. Okay. Shane Black. Yeah. <laughs> Joel Silver. She's joining the cast. We don't she know who great. she's playing. She yeah. was great. She was great. Um, and we all said this is a star-making performance. She's got a really bright future ahead of her. And it's happening already. Hooray. Is that because we said that in the podcast? I think it's because we said it. No one else said that. No one spotted that she was really good, apart, oh from, apart from everybody. So, um, so yeah, a sort of a, an age-appropriate person to be in a Spider-Man movie. Um, again, they're keeping all pretty much that. age-appropriate. But that. that's, that's the thing I like about that they're, movie. They're, yeah. they're close, yeah. but like he's, what, 20 now? She's who, who actually Holland? in her teens. Yeah. No, I think Tom Holland's in his late 50s. Oh, is he? Yeah. No, no, Tom Holland. No, Tom. Uh, I think he's early 60s. No, Tom Holland. Oh, Tom Holland, yes. Sorry, easy mistake to make, Chris. Sorry. Uh, anyway, so she joins the cast, obviously, with... Tom Holland, sorry, Tom Holland. Um, she she'll be in there with Marissa Tomei, Robert Downey Jr., Michael Keaton, Logan Martian Green, Donald Glover, Tony uh, Revolori, Martin Starr, Abraham Atta. Yeah, it's all shaping it's up extremely cast. well. There's a crackerjack cast. Never let it be said. There's not a joke in the Emperor podcast. We don't knowingly <laughs> thump into the ground and beat until it's dead. Uh, anything else? A couple of things. Yeah, Idris Elba. Um, has already been working as a producer. Um, he's already uh, directed a couple of shorts, uh, some music videos, and an episode of Sky's Playhouse Presents, but he is also planning to make a feature film. Um, it will be called Yardy. It's based on Victor Headley's novel, um, mm-hmm. and it's about a drug courier from Jamaica transporting cocaine to London. Um, but he decides to, instead of delivering it, keep it for himself what? and sell it himself, and that no. doesn't maybe go down so well. No. Yeah, so this is Lufa. Lufa. Stand, stepping to the other side of the law. Courier. Blimey. <laughs> Blimey. Yeah. So, he, sorry, he, is he going to star in it as well, or is he just going to We don't know. Um, uh, no casting announced yet, no schedule announced yet. He's obviously making The Dark Tower at the moment. You've seen some pictures maybe from that online. I have seen some pictures from that uh, online, This week, yes. um, he's supposed to be returning as Heimdall in uh, Thor Ragnarok, which has just started shooting. Yes. Um, presumably in a f- fairly small role if he's busy with The Dark Tower, which we shall see. Mm. Um, and, of course, he's got Star Trek Beyond coming out later this month. So, um, busy times for him. Uh don't know. Is Where the does he find the time questions? to do all the Sky ads? I mean, that seems like the biggest time commitment of all, Chris, so I really can't say. Perhaps he does really, truly believe in better. And he DJed at Glastonbury a couple of weeks ago. Did he? He did, yeah. No. He did a DJ set at Glastonbury. Big Driss DJed at... Big uh, Driss. Wow. There we go. There you go. Um, did you and go? Did you see him? I didn't. I was busy. Oh. Uh, alas and alack. Uh, but we just mentioned Thor Ragnarok, which brings us to Marvel, which brings us to... The Russo brothers, who, uh, naturally. Of course, naturally, who d- uh, directed Civil War and, of course, are shaping up for Infinity War Parts 1, 2 and Infinity. Um, and they have decided they don't have enough on their plate. Sure, they're making two enormous Marvel movies with a cast of thousands, but it doesn't seem like a challenge. So what uh. they've decided to do is add a TV show to their plate. Uh, they're planning to adapt the classic film, The Warriors, the Walter Hill film from 1979, mm-hmm. um, to their schedule uh, and, uh, and and make it into a TV show. Oh, very yeah. exciting. Warriors is a great film. Yeah. Seen it. 
go and check it out it is awesome um yeah you do worry about somehow how sometimes how busy these people get and how compartmentalized their days must be mm. uh you I think know worry might be the wrong word they're enormously rich we're, well, we're empathetic we worry, here on the, yeah, uh, on the we, and we're compassionate we worry for their sleep schedules yeah. and and are they eating right yeah. i mean mm. you know. we've expressed concern about uh, benedict cumberbatch's schedule and this oh, on this podcast before and dwayne johnson's oh, schedule on the podcast before yeah that is but a genuine I, I have i have a i have a i have a question Bring your question. I have a question. So, you know, our our days, and we're just low life scum suckers. Sure. Uh, are you know busy with meetings and all sorts of stuff, and that has a knock on effect in terms of you know delivering things that people are yelling at you for. Uh, so, you know, what happens if you're like the Russo brothers or someone like a Guillermo del Toro, and every part of your day is planned out? Twelve o'clock is a meeting about one project. One o'clock, you got to do some script stuff for Infinity War. Two o'clock, blah 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 blah, and so on and so on and so forth. Yeah. What if? When do they go to the toilet? I'm not going to speculate about that one. I don't. I don't need to know. Thank are you. Those, are they built into the schedule? You know, is it two? Okay, okay. So what do I have at two? Two o'clock. You got a, a one-hour meeting with Kevin Feige, and then you have a ten-minute toilet break, and that's scheduled in. I mean, I would refer you a, a little bit to to Sheldon and the Big Bang Theory. Uh huh. And and just I, you know, you, you've got to hope that you're just eating enough fibre, but not too much. We're veering back into bulls territory yeah, with increasing really speed. Let's uh, um, let's let's lift the uh, <laughs> let's lift the tone up right up. How can you possibly? It's a serious question. I'm going to shut that down. <laughs> thank you. It thank has you been, so it much. It has been shut serious down. Question. The button. I've pressed the button. So Hugh Jackman will be starring in uh, in a film for 20th Century Fox called The Greatest Showman on Earth. Yeah, he's playing a P.T. Barnum, the uh, the circus ringmaster the sort of the famous showman i guess and michelle williams has now joined the project as his wife uh, the character's wife zach efron is in it as well and uh apparently it's uh yeah it's a full-on musical Mm -hmm. sounds pretty good Mm. original musical very hugh jackman-y yeah good intriguing well, I'm, I'm I'm intrigued by that uh i'm hoping for a musical number on top of a tightrope I'm hoping for a musical number in a cage with some lions. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I'll be happy with those two. Oh, I'm not going to be greedy. A great musical number where right. a bunch of clowns come in. No, right. no. no. Shutting it down. Clown car. No. Clown car doors open. No. A hundred clowns spill out uh. and each have an amazing line and you can turn it into a whole big musical number where there's a whole bunch of clowns just dancing and being evil. I, I'm shutting that down. I think they could they could really save some money by joining with the production of It. Yes. And just sharing the clown budget. <laughs> there and you so go. And so shoot this during the day and then shoot It at night. Just use the same clowns. There you go. Sorted. <laughs> Try not to mix the Why footage up. Hollywood listen to this podcast? I know Sue Barker does, so thank you once again, Sue, uh, yeah, obviously. For, for that. Um, but there we go. That's this week's movie news. Uh, it's time now for this week's guest. Hooray. Uh, who is the star of a beloved cult movie that's turning... 30 this year if that makes you feel old I don't know maybe it does maybe it doesn't uh, and celebrating with a glossy new coat of paint a 4k restoration transfer type thing it's all very exciting the movie of course is Highlander Russell Mulcahy's Highlander and the star is Christopher Lambert or Christopher Lambert or Christophe, Christophe Lambert, Lambert uh, the Swiss French actor who shot to fame in Luc Besson's subway and then was immediately offered by Hollywood naturally the part of a Scotsman um, Highlander spawned many sequels and spin-offs but there can be only one and Lambert or Lambert came into the pod booth recently to talk to our very own immortal Frenchman 
Dan Cholan. Uh, so do please enjoy this interview. Christopher Lombert, welcome. <laughs> Did I get it right? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> welcome to the uh, Empire podcast. It's an honor to have you here. Uh, Thank you. Not least because you are uh, Conor McLeod of the Clan McLeod mm-hmm. and uh, Highlander. Um, the, uh, the, the movie we're here mainly to talk about is uh, 30 years old. Yes. Now. Um, yes. Yeah. Does it seem like 30 years to you? No, no. No, the, the 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 only thing that it, uh, um, the only thing I can tell you is that for sure time flies. Right. Because uh, no, I had the feeling, you know, that I just left Russell, uh, Sean Connery, yeah. Clancy Brown, the the Highlands. Yeah. I mean. You know, it's uh, no when when you have when you have such great memories about a movie. I mean, it's uh, you always keep it somewhere in mm. your heart, and uh, this is one of them. Mm. I mean, it, it's certainly um, stayed in the hearts of you know lots of, of fans. I mean, obviously, the you know the joke about it is is that you always said there can be only one, and mm-hmm. then it just carried on and carried on in all these different forms from sequels to TV shows, but. In terms of the that first film, I mean, why do you think you know it's 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 just stayed with people for so long, and it's people are so fond of this film? Listen, it, I have no idea. The the thing is, uh, you know, when they when they when they offered me the movie, um, I was interested mostly about the fact that it was dealing with immortality yeah. more than just the action, the fantasy, which I love and uh, I'm a great fan of. But um, I, I think one of the factors that this movie went over three generations now yeah. is because of that. Yeah. Because it make each time you see the movie, you can see something different. You can think about something different. Mm. And uh, so there, there, there's many layers in this movie. It's not just uh, sit down in the theater and get out and... Just saying, I had a great time, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, people went back to see it over and over again. Mm. They bought the VHS at the time, then the DVD, then, yeah. and it became, which nobody knew because you, it's impossible to know that, it really became a cult movie. I've got yeah. people my age, 50 plus, who showed it uh, to their son, who are now 30 or whatever, yeah. uh, or showing it to their 12 years old, 14 years old, 15 years old. Mm. I've got some 12 years old who are just looking at me and saying, oh my God, you're Christopher the Highlander. <laughs> and so it's weird because, you know, I, I, I would say that very few movies have that uh, cult factor. Mm. Hmm. I mean, uh, Queen. I th- Queen is Queen. not as strange <laughs> to that part because uh, their music is so actual today. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, a good movie needs great music. Yeah. Always. Yeah. It's either between that or Flash Gordon, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good point. I'd go. I'd go with Highlander, though. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's. Uh, of course, the ballad "Who Who Wants to Live Forever" is actually currently going mm. round inside my head now as we're talking. I have to confess, but yeah, I mean, I was like, uh, I think, twelve years old when that film came out, and mm. I remember seeing the posters, and there was just something about the idea of you know the guy with the sword, but 
in the modern era, you know, that, that appealed on a very basic level. But as you say, it was VHS, I think, was the thing. I mean, once, yeah, I you know, once, think in 86 was yeah. still uh, VHS. Mm. Uh, we, we started DVDs in the 90s yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, how, going right back to, to when you were approached and you had the conversations about taking the role, I mean, how did you react when they said that you'd be playing somebody Scottish? <laughs> Like that. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know, I, I, I just came out uh, roughly of Greystoke, where I was playing a chimp. <laughs> so I said, if I can chimp around, I can try at least to be as close as possible to mm. a Scottish accent, which took me uh, about sixteen weeks of practice with a coach. Yeah. And so it wasn't that easy, but uh, you know, it's it's part of the job. It's, it's the excitement about that job mm. is that um, they allow you to be and to become somebody you cannot be in real life. I'm not Scottish, so I can work <laughs> on a Scottish accent. Mm. Uh, I'm not immortal, yeah. but I can be an immortal. In the movies, and it's great. So uh, everything goes together. Mm. And I was, I wasn't thinking about the accent it, itself. I was thinking about Conor McLeod, yeah. the Scotsman. And so, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't that easy. On top of it, I was facing a Scotsman, <laughs> Sean Connery, who was playing a Spaniard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and um, Sean was really nice because when the scenes we had together, when I, when, I, when I was a little off with the accent, he was saying, Christopher, you should do it this way or that way. You should put the inflection on that word instead of the other one. And stuff like that. So it was great. It was great. He was the, and he was doing it very discreetly, just between him and me. Mm. And uh, so it was very helpful. Mm. I, I remember there's that the, the great scene though in the uh, in the film itself where the cop says, you know, uh, comments on your accent, and it says where you're from, and you just say that great line. Uh, Lots of different places. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Okay, right. Um, they made, but you know, you know what? It's funny because uh, it's exactly what uh, in real life I am. I was born in the states. I was raised in Switzerland and many different places. Mm. I've been traveling all my life. So, in some ways, that was probably the easiest line for me in the movie. <laughs> yeah, because because it's a fact. Yeah. Um, and uh, I suppose with Scotland, you kind of what you see is what you get as well in terms of the conditions, the weather, and everything. I mean, everything you have to was, adapt. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's I, that's what Russell was saying, Mulcahy, when we were shooting, <laughs> because the producers were like going, "How are we going to match that shot with the other shot?" And Russell was just saying, "Let's keep on shooting," because it was in one day mm. we had four seasons. It was <laughs> hailing, raining, snowing, sunny. So if you wait for the weather, you never shoot the movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, didn't at one point you find yourself? I read this. Uh, you found yourself with a with a, a fish up your kilt. Was that right? A trout yeah. up your two. kilt. Two. Two. Yeah. <laughs> two. You know, it goes with the twins, so we needed two. Uh, yeah, two two trouts. Yeah. I was coming out of this lake, 
and I had two trouts in my, uh, not in my kilt, in, in, the, in the top of my kilt. Okay. Yeah. In your spuren, I guess, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and Clancy Brown as well, of course, who uh, I believe you're, you've, 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 you're seeing again this weekend, is that right? You're, yeah. You're, you're, you're yeah. hanging out with yeah. Clancy once more. I mean, how is it? Um, did, I mean, did you stay in touch with him since, or is this the first time you've seen him? We in, in... bumped into each other a couple of times, but, you know, uh, that's sometimes uh, not the sadness but that's what this business is about is mm. that you build a big family for 12 weeks 14 weeks 16 weeks and then uh, uh everybody you know is like it's 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 even closer than a family yeah and then every everybody goes in different directions and then saying we got to see each other give me your number uh, and in some ways, you never really do. Yeah. I stayed in touch with Russell, and mm-hmm. I bumped into Sean Connery many times uh-huh. because we lived in the same building in Los Angeles. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, wow. So uh, I was seeing him quite often at dinners or in the elevator, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how was it locking swords with Clancy then during during the film? I just- it's it, quite an imposing. It figure. was, yeah, it was heavy. He was, <laughs> he was strong. He was tall. He still is. Yeah. But um, great actor, great guy, um, and very cautious about the fact that we weren't dealing, you know, uh, with a plastic sword. It was real heavy metal. So you realize that it's not the power you put behind the blow that's going to make it bigger. Mm. It's the way you um, give the blow. And you don't have to just hammer it. Right. Uh, I, I had an actor on a different Highlander, one of the sequels, who thought that the stronger you hammer your blow, the bigger it's going to be. Mm. And it's not true. Right. So Clancy was very precise, very cautious about that. So it wasn't difficult. The mm. other guy, I was from time to time because <laughs> I had this tiny sword and he had this humongous sword. And I was saying, if you are not ready, he's going to explode your head. Yeah. Because he was going full blast. And mm. even though the people saying, you don't need to do that, he kept on doing it, thinking it's much more powerful, mm. which it's not, it's not. Right, right. Wow. I mean, you should listen to you. I mean, you should know you've done that. <laughs> yeah, I know, but, uh, but he didn't. And I was really protecting myself. Hmm. Clancy was extremely uh, a hard, hard worker. Hmm. So everything, the routine, everything was done in a way where uh, on Highlander 1, I never got, I got some bruises and stuff like that, but never got cuts. Hmm. On number 2, 3, and 4, I, I had many, many, many cuts. Right. Right. Would you do another one then? <laughs> I would do another one if the script's good. Yeah. 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 I did, you know, they did five and six and I didn't want to, no, I didn't want to be part of them. Not, not because I'm not saying they're not good. That's not the point. After four, um, that was it for me. That's fair enough. Though. Yeah. <laughs> that is fair enough. But there's, you know, there's talk now of, I mean, there's always talk. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the last thing was that you know they were mentioning they would reboot it. You know, they would do a whole new one, and uh, Tom Hardy was mentioned for your role, and mm-hmm. Tom Cruise was mentioned for the Sean Connery mm-hmm. role. I mean, 
do you pay attention to this? Do you are you interested by this, or you know, is you're just like, oh, just get on with it, guys? Well, you know, it's been uh, it's been seven years that you're talking about. It's not reboot is the right word. I don't think they wanna they wanna do Highlander one exactly the way it was made. Mm-hmm. I think they wanna change it in such a way that they don't wanna touch number one. Which I think, I think is a good idea. It's a good idea to stay as far as possible as number one. Right. Uh, on top of it, who's going to find Queen today? <laughs> and, uh, you know, as I was saying before, the music can make a good movie, a great movie, mm. but can also destroy a movie. Mm. And uh, Queen's addition to Highland No. One was tremendous. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, it didn't really come back for any of the other films. I mean, that was the no, sequel. You no, know, sorry, sorry, you know, as a matter of fact, yeah. they were meant to do the opening title song. That's right. it. Yeah. Then they saw uh, Russell Mulcahy's movie and they said, we've got to do a whole album. Because they, they, you know, they wrote this album in like a few weeks. Mm. They were really inspired by the movie. Mm. But at the beginning, they were meant to do only one. Right. Well, one thing I've just got to ask, about, ask you about just before we finish, which is nothing to do with this. I was overjoyed to see you appearing in the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, not a big Thank part, you. but it was, it, was, it was, what a great part. I mean, it is a big part. <laughs> no, but you know, it's funny because apart from Josh Brolin and... Um, and um, which one? Sorry, George, yes. Clooney. George Clooney, yeah. Everybody on the movie had one to three days of shooting. That right. was it. It was a big ensemble piece. So yeah. when they offered me that part, in my head, I thought if the Coins brothers asked me just to come in and open a door, I would do it. Now they are <laughs> giving me a scene. So of course I'm going to do it. Yeah. No, no, it was great. Yeah. And of course, then you had to uh, play a German, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Swedish, Swedish, Swedish. You know, you know. It's funny because they say the guy is a Swede, but nobody knows what a Swede accent is. Right. So we got to give you a kind of Swedish coach and a German coach and a Danish coach and a Norwegian coach, and then we'll mix all that up and maybe we'll find a kind of uh, Swedish accent. Wow. Well, it was really, I went on the internet. I talked to coaches in Los Angeles. They said nobody knows exactly what a Swedish accent is, especially in the 50s. (laughs) That's honestly. So you had to do all these different things. Uh, Yeah. Wow. I mean, mean, that brings us perfectly full circle back to, uh, you know. Lots of different places. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, look, thank you uh, so much, Christopher. Thanks for coming in and talking to us about this uh, this cult fan favorite movie, which, uh, as I say, I kind of, I've seen time and time again myself since I was a, a teenager. Um, so, yes, thank you very much, Christopher. Thank Robert, you. From lots of different places. <laughs> we thank you okay. very much. Goodbye. Bye. Danjola. Danjola. Brutinj Highlander. That's what he'd say. <laughs> So there you go, that's uh, Christopher Lombert, Christophe Lombert. Uh, apparently he doesn't really mind what you call him, because he's richer than you. I imagine, I imagine most people who are richer than you don't give a shit what you call him, mm. ultimately. Well, there's a lesson there of some there sort. There is a lesson. <laughs>
Right, it's uh, movie reviews time now. Um, Ghostbusters, Paul Figg's Ghostbusters opens on Monday, part of Meerkat Monday. Birds. Um, but uh, it uh, we haven't seen it yet, have we? No, no. I'm seeing it on Sunday. Uh, Nick is nodding his head. Uh, he has seen it because we've done a spoiler special with Paul Feig, which will be going up after the movie's out in the in the States. That will have us talking about the movie, I yes. think. It won't be the, the Independence Day thing. We're somehow going to find time in our schedule to do that. Uh, but you can't talk about it. He was on great form. I mm. can't talk about the film, uh, but he was on great form. Phil and I talked to him. We had a, a real laugh. A real laugh. That's going to be a good one. He's gonna, very, yeah. very uh, good on that. Very candid, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's intriguing. Looking forward to that one. So we haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's screening for press this weekend. So after the podcast goes out, so don't necessarily let that trip alarm bells for you uh, about the quality of the movie. We'll discuss it in next week's podcast. So let's start with the movie that opened last Monday again as part of Meerkat's Monday, which is now beginning to have an effect on when uh, studios release movies over here, which is interesting. Uh, the movie is, of course, Now You See Me Two, the sequel to Now You See Me. Uh, Louis Leterrier's movie uh, about a group of magicians who pull off heists and Mark Ruffalo is the FBI agent trying to track them down. Uh, and I enjoyed that movie a lot. Yes. Um, so it's a bit difficult mm. to talk about this movie mm. uh, because there was a big reveal at the end of the last movie, as you'd expect from a film about magic. Mm. And so my intro for this movie is about to reveal the end of the last one. So skip ahead a bit if you haven't seen Now You See Me Absolutely. and you still want to. If you have not seen Now You See Me and you don't want to know that Mark Ruffalo was the mastermind behind it all and turned out to be the world's greatest magician, skip, skip ahead. ahead now or or just before Chris started talking. So Helen, you were you were about to reveal the twist. I was about to reveal that, that Mark Ruffalo was actually mm. not just an FBI investigator, but himself what? a magician who had set up the entire thing. Dylan so Rhodes. Anyway. <laughs> Dylan Rhodes. Dylan Rhodes. So he's, he's back. So 18 months have now passed um, and uh, Rhodes is now sort of allied, I guess, with the group. Uh, Isla Fisher's Henley has left. She's been replaced by Lizzie Kaplan's Lula because all women are the same, I guess. Um, (laughs) But she's a fast-talking, sleight-of-hand wizard. She's very good. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, otherwise, very little seems to have really happened. Very little seems to have been learned. There's been no real development, I'll be honest, in the team. Uh, when they find themselves once again under pressure uh, to pull off the impossible. And this time, the person who has them under pressure is... Daniel Radcliffe. A man who has had no previous experience with uh, big screen magic, as far as I could see. No, I don't I don't believe he has ever mm. been involved in anything magical whatsoever before. No. Um, so Radcliffe plays Walter Mabry, who basically brings the gang in, sets them an impossible task, and sets them on their way. Um, and uh, there's a connection he has to a character we've met before. It's fairly obvious. It's been talked about <laughs> in some reviews, but it is in theory a twist, so I'm not going to say too much more than that. Uh, and, and and then they they have to set off on their mission, right? But, yeah. But there's some weird twists in this one because you get Mark Wahlberg working with... Mark Wahlberg? Mark, sorry. Bloody that, hell, that is a twist. That is a twist. Mark Ruffalo working with Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Who was, you know, as far as he was concerned, the baddie at the first... So why are they... Well, now? Yeah. It's, 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 this movie is such a shame because I, I genuinely really liked the first one. It, it kind of came out of nowhere... I think it was the summer 2013. Louis Leterrier is the director, and that usually, you know, I know you don't like Grimsby. In fact, nobody liked no. Grimsby. But, you know, that usually has a bit of fun, a bit of flash yeah. to it. 
Uh, now you see me was fun. yeah I really enjoyed the banter between too the, much CG with the yeah, tricks. far too much CG and some of the worst, the worst sound editing I've ever heard I mean it's like you know the, the bits where the, the four horsemen are, are, are you know parading their wares in front of audiences There's the audience reaction uh, audio is just awful it's like have you ever been to a concert anyway anyway uh, it's just a rant um, just a little bit of a uh, diversion there uh, but I enjoyed the first movie a lot this movie is really just dull and tepid and a missed opportunity and uh, it, it it makes no sense in many many ways. Do you yeah. think they uh, do you think when they made, were making the first one they were already thinking ahead to this one or does no. it feel like they're just going oh god it was a hit <laughs> absolutely ah, absolutely not and now they're threatening a, a sequel they're threatening this to be a, a, a threatening a trilogy it has to and, be a trilogy Come on. and this one is actually this one makes the same mistake I think Independence Day two does and a number of films this summer have made which is they set up blatantly yeah. a sequel. Uh, it's like, guys, just be sure that you have, get this one done. Get this one done, and then we'll, we'll see. I think weirdly, when they have those are. conversations, they 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 might go, "Oh, this will make it more popular because people will, yeah, you know, have to watch the next one." But yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean. I hate those films that just end on a cliffhanger and then yeah. never get a sequel. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's not so much a cliffhanger this one, but it is an expectation of something to come, which is which is. Um, which may never be met because it, it's it's done okay in the states. And it's yeah, no, okay I mean the first one was a huge breakout hit. This one yeah. has, has not been. First one was a um, sleeper. This one's just asleep. Uh, but this this falls into many of the the bad sequel traps. So it it ties itself in knots to bring everybody back when they don't need to come back. Morgan Freeman was the bad guy of the first movie in many ways. He's in prison. It was the end of Mark Ruffalo's arc. Yeah, uh, and so to somehow tie the plot in knots so those two have to go on a sort of weird buddy-buddy movie thing when they hate each other's guts just doesn't work there's also an enormous piece of terrible retconning in this film uh, which uh, just makes no sense whatsoever but also it wastes its cast uh, there's a there's a real feeling of entropy at the beginning of the movie as well and you know the, the, the relationship between the horsemen which was so fun and frothy in the first movie is now has gone nowhere it's actually it's actually degraded a little bit and they're yeah. kind of at each other's throats and you just think the fun you can have with Mark Ruffalo's character after the revelation of the first movie where he could go as a character instead he's somehow still in the FBI he is and he is not allowed to show off at any point in the movie until towards the end I mean yeah. this is as we're told the greatest magician on the planet and he gets very very little chance to and show off and even that. Daniel Radcliffe right really yeah. great introduction you're like ooh I like this this is fun yeah. I'm having I'm having a good time and yeah. then it's it just nothing absolutely just mm. it, it goes nowhere and, and, and it's not to say it's awful there's some nice sequences there's a, there's a fun high sequence with the four horsemen but for some reason Ruffalo and the four horsemen are separated from most of the movie and can we talk about Woody Harrelson's double character here for a second? Because there's just, oh my God. So clearly they haven't given, they haven't got enough for everyone to do. So they give Woody Harrelson a dual role. So his uh, sort of hypnotist, Merritt McKinney, has a twin brother who turns up and he's evil. And it's it's a dreadful performance that is just bordering on the stereotypical and offensive. And go and see the movie to, to see what I mean. But it's like it's like someone from the seventies just walked into this movie. It's it's a very, very strange strange performance, very strange decision in a movie which is really, really wow. disappointing. I was really looking forward to this. I I kept saying You, you, you know, were, yeah, I remember you know, yeah. This is one of the movies I was really looking forward to. Dylan Rhodes is back. Where can they possibly take this character? And they, and they took they him into They just didn't. It. Yeah. Yeah. I've not seen the film, but I am angry that they didn't call it Now You Don't. <laughs> I, I am just, a little as Come well. on. Yeah. Yeah. I think many people haven't. 
Funnily um, enough, uh, now you see me, now you don't, in Latin, is the motto of the Unseen University in the Terry Pratchett books. Wow, great fact. Yeah. It is a great fact. Great fact. That's a great You're fact. Well. So up next uh, is The Neon Demon. Nicholas Winding Refn and Elle Fanning were our guests on last week's podcast, and now this is their movie, Hell's Bells. Yes. So, um, Elle Fanning plays Jessie, a 16-year-old who arrives in LA with dreams of becoming a model. Uh, she's encouraged by a makeup artist, uh, Ruby, who's played by Jenna Malone, and uh, falls in with Ruby and her two friends, Gigi, uh, played by Bella Heathcote, and Sarah, who's played by Abby Lee. An awful lot of time happens, during which very, very little in the way of plot happens, uh, and then some <laughs> things go completely crazy at the end. Uh Honestly, genuinely, that's a fair summation of this plot. Um, but it all happens extremely beautifully. This is absolutely gorgeously shot. It's beautiful looking. I mean, even aside from the fact that the cast is obviously gorgeous, it's shot beautifully by Natasha Breyer. Um, it's it's just that, you know, it, it, nothing happens and nothing keeps happening. And it's so frustrating. Um Ian said in our review, imagine America's Next Top Model, written by Sofia Coppola and directed by Dario Argento. And honestly, that's the best summation I'm, I can I'm imagine. I'm on board. That, that's You that's would amazing. think. Yeah. You would think, wouldn't you? Five stars. But but yeah, no. Um, Keanu Reeves turns up in a tiny little role, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're horrible to him, I think. But it's, it's all about image and it's all about looking at things and it's all about... Um, you know our attitudes to beauty and our attitudes to our, our own beauty as well as everyone else's um the problem is it, i think itself it's vapid and stupid um so I, ian i should say ian gave this 3 he thinks it's he thinks it's gorgeous and he thinks that it's um it's it's such a feast for the eyes that that kind of makes up for the fact that it's boring for long stretches for me it was boring and then frustrating and and the fact that it was gorgeous didn't really help with that mm. um so i'm i'm sorry to slightly disagree uh, with our review, but honestly, I just, I just wasn't convinced, and it seemed to me that people were being ultimately punished for accepting their own good looks, but also suffering because they lusted after other people's beauty. So I don't see what it says that's in any way profound or clever. Fashion is danger, Helen. Beauty is bad. Okay, great, but then show us an alternative in your film because you haven't shown us anything that in any way resembles a point so I, I, do, I just I just find this incredibly frustrating I, you know I like Ref and I think I've liked lots of his other films I just I didn't like this at all good score though right yeah good score Cliff Martinez mm. yeah um, and as I say gorgeous looking in terms of the colours used everything like that fabulous fabulous stuff I just hated it <laughs> you were you were kind of straddling that line. You were being very I was, diplomatic. I was trying. I'm trying to be fair because you know Ian did like You've a lot more honest, than me, and that's, that's, that's our verdict. Well, it's divisive, isn't it? I mean, it it's, is, it's yeah. very divisive. It I, 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 I and I think designed to be. I'm so definitely going to see it on the big screen just to to see what I make of it. But um, <laughs> I, I missed Only God Forgives on the big screen, and I kind of wish I'd seen that. Oh, I, I am much more up on Only God Forgives than I am on this, and I'm I'm not that up on Only God Forgives. Crikey. I think I'd rip my own eyes out before seeing Only God Forgives again. Well then, so good. Wow. Uh, yeah, three stars. Three stars. Which well, is, that a recommendation. is okay. Which it's is a recommendation okay. from yeah. everyone other than me. Well, of course, we changed the star system now, so it's just the new catchphrase is it's okay. okay. So three stars is uh, kind of a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah. let's talk about a film that's not okay. Oh no, the Legend of Tarzan. 
it's not okay because it's better than okay? It's it's not as good as okay. Oh no. Oh. So it's okay. Yeah, so this is a film. It's there's a lot of plot going on in this movie. It starts with title card. I think the first title card to come on the screen is involving the a Berlin conference involving Belgium's financial affairs. So that sets Ooh. you up nicely for <laughs> taxation of trade routes anyone? It's pretty much it's the equivalent of that. Yeah, it's very much that. So basically I, what I kind of liked about this movie at first is that it's not an origin story. It starts with Tarzan having done his adventures, and he's in London. Mm-hmm. He's now known as John Clayton III or Lord Greystoke. He's got a lot of names, this character. And he's sort of moping around in London, not looking particularly happy, but he's married to uh, Jane, played by Margot Robbie. That would make most people happy. Yeah, he doesn't look that happy. That's no, he's, he's miserable. You he's, want to he's, slap him. Well, this is one of the big problems with the film. Is it's a very dour character. He's, there's no fun, right? you know. He's swinging around on vines, but he's not having much fun with it. Um, so anyway, he and Jane end up going to Africa. They team up with um, Sam Jackson's character, George Washington Williams. There's a lot going on in this film. They go to the Congo to try to um, investigate a slavery ring, which is, which is okay. going on. Uh, meanwhile, Christopher Waltz is this villainous uh, character who is uh, basically a ripoff of Belloc from Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> he has, be- I'm serious, he's, he's wearing Belloc's outfit. <laughs> he has a scene with Margot Robbie that is identical to the scene from Raiders between oh, no. Belloc and um, yeah. Crucially, Marion. not as good. It's really not. And so he's he's off. There's a there's stuff going on with diamonds. There's stuff going on with an African tribe who've got a vendetta against Tarzan from stuff long ago. Mm. And it just... It's not that fun. Oh, it no. really isn't. I wanted a fun Tarzan movie. I just thought this was going to be like an Indiana Jones-style romp. But it's very slow, somber, dour. Everything is grey and miserable-looking. Here's a question for you. This one has too much plot. Neon Demon had too little. Is there some way that we could like siphon off some of the plot from Tarzan, pour yeah. it into Neon Demon, and have two really good films? No. Would Neon no. Demon have been improved with uh, a subplot about Belgium's financial woes? Honestly, I think it would, but I mean, I, I leave that to the experts. Yeah, so anyway, what I was saying about it, it being nice that it's not an origin story kind of goes by the wayside very quickly as it becomes apparent that they're going to give us a flashback every three minutes <laughs> that last ten minutes. Um, yeah. There's so many flashbacks. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Flashbacks, not flashbacks within flashbacks, but there's like so there's like at least five during the film. Yeah, and they all do the same thing. Well, and it's, just, it's just, you're an hour into the film, and they're still showing you how Tarzan <laughs> met Jane, and you're like, we get it. We've we've seen these characters on screen for an hour. You you get it in the first scene. They're good actors. Yeah. So we get that they have a history. You don't mm. need to see how they met. Um, the other major problem with this film is the it's a big one. It's the animals. There's not. They, there's, there's, at the end, in the end credits, there's a little card that comes up saying, "No real animals were used in this production," and you kind of going, "No shit!" Like <laughs> they looked, they don't look real at any point. There's no point where you're convinced that he's interacting with real animals. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. It's a shame. And I, you know, I, I really do feel that this summer has become a competition to see which film can be the shittiest. Uh, every week there seems to be a, a new film basically comes out every week and goes you thought last week's film was bad well you ain't seen nothing yet so you get Independence Day Resurgence which was terrible and then you get Now You See Me Too which is terrible and then Legend of the Tarzan goes it's, it's basically it's a scene from Jaws it's the Scars comparison scene from Jaws so 
The, so no, let's come on. Well, let's not, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to digress. But um, but Independence Day for me was the blast of fun that I was looking for because because there was no fun to be had for that <sighs> film. Okay. Well, anyway, we're not going to get onto it's a, that. It's but. a terrible film. Uh, but you know, before that, you got X Men Apocalypse, which wasn't great. Warcraft wasn't great. It, this summer has been shocking. But Legend of Tarzan, it's got that beat. It's got that beat. This is. You are becoming cynical in your old age. Things are going to get better. I hope so. Everything is fine. We've already had... uh, Yeah, it's been a rubbish summer in lots of different ways. Mm. In loads of different ways. From mud at Glastonbury to Brexit (laughs) chaos to you name it. It's been terrible. But Andy Murray is going to win Wimbledon. Suicide Squad's going to be great. Suicide Squad is going to be great. You know, we haven't seen Ghostbusters yet. That that could be yep. great. Finding Jason Dory. Bourne. Pixar is coming. Jason Bourne is coming. Mm. Come on, people. Star Trek Beyond looks good. Between us, we can get through this. Back in the I mean, game. So far, so far, it is just... It's and we been, still have Cap. We still have Cap. Cap, nice guys. All See? fine. All fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Sing this summer Hunt for the Wilder People is coming up people that is come true. on that's September Sing is next I mean, year it's Sing is next year it's, sorry it, I meant Sing, Sing Street. Street Sing Street yes I know but the, the blockbusters are, are just bad there are too many bad sequels too many unwanted sequels Legend of Tarzan obviously is a sequel mm. and I know that Guillermo del Toro thinks that there's a great movie to be made of Tarzan I'm not so sure I feel like I there feel is we, as well weirdly I feel like there is but then yeah watching this this you kind of start to doubt that because I, it's some, some dodgy. Maybe, maybe there was, and it was George of the Jungle. Precisely. Yeah. George of the Jungle is the best Tarzan film. This film is problematic on many, many levels. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Read my review for a, a longer... The, the, read the online version of the review, which is basically an 800-word rant, um, but uh, for, for some of those problems. It's an, it, that, it, that is an interesting point about uh, Guillermo's take on Tarzan, because I do, I do think Edgar Rice Burroughs obviously wrote Tarzan, and he also wrote John Carter, and yes, both does. of those series of stories were enormously influential in their mm-hmm. day and ever since mm-hmm. on the stories that we've told. I mean, you know, The Mummy, huge Tarzan influences, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, John Carter influenced everything from Star Wars on. It's it's an enormous uh, kind of cultural marker. The problem is if you go back to those original stories now, they feel like the tired ones because everything else is stolen from them. And of course, in, particularly in Tarzan's case, uh, their, their sort of racial and, and political, geopolitical yeah. Stance looks appalling. Oh, it's 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 deeply, deeply dodgy. And this movie tries to address that in many ways, and tries to make Tarzan rather than him lording it over the the indigenous people in the Congo, um, he is an equal. Yes. Uh, with the with the local tribesmen, and that that's fine and that's good. But then there's a scene later on which is. It turns out to be a big misunderstanding, but it's it's as you're watching it unfold. I think you'll know the scene when you see it. It's yeah. deeply weird and uncomfortable, and yeah, I, I'm not sure that character works in this in the in the modern day. <clears throat> but if it if it did work, it, Nick's right. It could have been a Raiders. It could have been a lot better. I mean, you've got you've got at its heart a guy who can communicate with all the animals of the jungle, and he's friends with all the animals in the jungle, and they team up to fight baddies and I, I know there's a great there's a fun movie in there somewhere but this veers between being way too serious and then there'll suddenly be a really silly you know like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull style you know yeah. teaming up with monkeys kind of thing and it just comes off as yeah it it, it, it doesn't get the tone right mm. unfortunately right. because I was looking forward to this genuinely but um 
but no. Does two stars. Work. Yeah, two stars for The Legend of Tarzan. Not the greatest week at the cinema, sadly, but there are a couple of specials coming out. So the Independence Day spoiler special, um, that will be available for you to listen to now. There will be a Ghostbusters one with Paul Feig coming up, which should be out after it's out in the States. We're going to do a Jason Bourne spoiler special with Paul Greengrass, and we're going to do a Star Trek Beyond spoiler special with Justin Lin as well. All very, very exciting. We're also going to do a Star Trek special on its own to celebrate 50 years of that franchise which should be out next week so do keep your ears peeled for that one as well and speaking of Star Trek join us next week for more film related fun we'll be joined by all being well Chris Pine (gasps) Zachary Quinta (gasps) and Sophia Batella from Star Trek Beyond all very exciting until then uh, it's goodbye from Helen it's goodbye from Nick bye bye and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to blag a ticket to Wimbledon to see Andy Murray grapple with his big hairy balls. See you next week. Bye. Chris. What? Disrespectful of our national hero. <laughs>